In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Palm Sunday is one of the few days on the calendar on which two liturgical colors are observed. We begin with festal red, reflecting the triumph of martyrdom and the illuminating and refining fire of the Holy Spirit. We end with penitential purple, a return to the sober reality of our need for a savior and the patient waiting for his deliverance. Our two gospel lessons this morning are the basis of this duality, revealing first the triumphal entry of Christ and then proceeding to the rejection of that Christ by those he came to save. The Holy Week that begins today leads us to mark this duality within ourselves by noting how we are those who both hail him and those who revile him, who know that we need him and yet will do just about anything to avoid him. On Palm Sunday, I'm reminded of the philosopher Soren Kierkegaard's question when he asked, how did Christ manage to live without anxiety for the next day? He who from the first instant of his public life, when he stepped forward as a teacher, knew how his life would end, that the next day was his crucifixion, knew this while the people exultantly hailed him as king, bitter knowledge to have at precisely that moment, knew that when they were crying Hosanna at his entry into Jerusalem, that they would cry crucify him, and that it was to this end that he made his entry. He who bore every day the prodigious weight of this superhuman knowledge, how did he manage to live without anxiety for the next day? Nothing is hidden from Christ. He knows and knew upon entering Jerusalem how the week was going to end. His passion is not an accident of history. He is not a victim of tragic circumstances. His actions, more than any other's actions, are deliberate. And in that deliberate acting, he acts continually to save, out of a good will to save, and saves even those he knows will reject him. Jesus, on Palm Sunday, allows the people to hail him with cries of Hosanna. We will recall that this word Hosanna means please, come and save us. Likely, when they sang this hymn of Hosanna, they thought that the arrival of a great prophet on the back of a donkey, in the manner of David and Solomon of old, signaled that they would soon be delivered from the Romans, their most identifiable enemy. But as Jesus knew, that was not their real enemy. He answers their prayer of Hosanna by entering Jerusalem and immediately going to the temple to cleanse it. He does so because this is the actual answer to the prayer to be saved. If the house of prayer were to be restored and the life of prayer renewed and embraced, then Rome would no longer pose a threat 
it would have begun to be defeated in the same breath. But this, of course, was not the salvation that anyone wanted. They wanted the yoke off their necks, but they did not want the transformation of the heart with the humility and repentance that it would require. By the end of the week, the same people who prayed for deliverance from their enemies would make an alliance with those enemies to murder the man who did not give them what they wanted. Knowing this, however, Jesus still gave them a good gift in exchange for their imperfect prayer. He took their prayer of Hosanna more seriously than even they did, as they began in that same moment to reject him. Jesus answers the prayer of Hosanna because it is his goodwill to save, to create the beginning of salvation in, under even the most imperfect and non-ideal conditions. This includes even the prayers we offer half-heartedly, to which when the Lord answers them as he will, he knows we will respond immediately with full-throated contempt. The salvation offered to Jerusalem on Palm Sunday is but the foreshadowing of the salvation he will offer on Good Friday. Just as he makes the most out of the people's misguided motive in their prayer of Hosanna, so he will make life itself to arise even from fearful and violent cries of crucify in just a few short days. He will redeem even the unthinkable prayer, his blood be on us and on our children. He will answer it in the best possible way. On Palm Sunday, we are brought to see the goodness of Jesus to answer our prayers with a willing heart that is not diminished by the knowledge that we will use the same voice with which we pray to call for his blood. He is able to see each of these things as they are. The full horror of our impending betrayal does not invade or qualify today's work of cleansing the heart to make it a more fit home of prayer. Even when we, he knows we will reject him, he does not cease to offer us every good gift. Our temptation will be to rush through Holy Week. The brief festivity of Palm Sunday will tempt us to think that Easter is pretty much here. What's the few days of difference? Holy Week comes at the end of Lent to show us that a few days can make a very big difference. It can turn praise to condemnation and loyalty to denial. But it can also turn death to life. We will avoid, want to avoid remembering these things. But this is not what the Lord has shown us to do. As Kierkegaard observed, Christ did not let the knowledge of tomorrow and its anxieties overshadow any one of his days. In every miraculous sign, healing, and teaching he has given us since his nativity, he knew that these days would come, and it did not diminish his presence among us. And our complicity 
in rejecting him still has not diminished his presence among us, nor his goodwill to come and save us, to make us present in him and with him, if we will but sing Hosanna this day with an imperfect but a willing heart. For as we sang in the procession this morning, upon the Mount of Olives he prayed to his father, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Thy will be done. Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Thy will be done. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen.